Our world is in trouble. Society is full of noise, darkness, and distraction. Where do you go to find the hope and the strength to cope with such a mess? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, The purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format. We welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is our topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, who and what should a Christian support? And our theme text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All right. Who and what should a Christian support? One of the hallmark characteristics of being a Christian is compassion. Jesus was the epitome of acting in a way that helped and cared for others. And we are called to walk in his footsteps. Simple enough. Or is it? In our world, there are a myriad of causes that we can be kind-hearted towards. The poor, the undereducated, the abused, the oppressed, the homeless, the disabled, the unborn. Then there's the wider scope of life. Endangered species, abused and homeless animals, and the environment. And then there are the social and political issues that rage across our media 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All of these and more can easily demand our attention, our money, and our time. So, what do we do? What causes our support worthy for a Christian? Where do we invest our time, effort, and resources to truly be God-honoring and followers of Jesus? Jonathan, today's podcast is going to uh, get into some things that a lot of Christians see in in a lot of different ways. That's right. And of course, each of us, we have our own opinion. Yours may be a little different from mine. So, and we have we've talked to several other Christians who may see things slightly differently than than we do on on all of these things, but the idea is who and what should a Christian support? We want to go through some biblical principles and try to put some of this in order. So, first of all, let's establish something really simple and really scriptural and very very Christian. Doing good, quote unquote, good is a given for a successful Christian life. And we know that, simple scripture, Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Okay, so who does it say we're supposed to do good to? Well, Rick, it says to all people. Okay, what does that mean? You know, how do we do good to all people? But then there's something else in that verse. That's right. It says, especially to whom. And who's the whom? 
the household <laughs> of faith, those believers in Christ and followers of Jesus. So how would we do that? So, so the bottom line is to do good. Now, you know, what does it mean to do good? The word is a very generic word. It's not something that's profound. It means to, to, hey, it means to do good, okay? It means to do things in an appropriate manner, in a kind manner, compassionate, to, uh, honest, respect, with integrity. That's what it means to do good. And, it's, and be, be helpful. Right. Do good, be helpful. So we want to talk about what it means to do good in a, in a broad, broad way. And, and folks, as we go through this next couple of segments, one of the questions we're going to put out on the table is, do we bail out the poor? Okay. Another question is, do we save the environment? Those are coming up in the next couple of segments as we move forward in trying to understand what is the Christian's responsibility as a footstep follower of Jesus to, quote, do good. So how do you know if Jesus was focused on giving to the poor? And, and Jonathan, I'll tell you, this, this subject was, I think, I think this was, a, was suggested to me from somebody. I don't remember uh, where it came from, but it really opened my eyes to understand a lot more of what was behind a lot of Jesus' teaching. And I'm really glad that we're able to go over this because I learned a lot in doing this. If we go back to the Old Testament law, we can really begin to see how Jesus formed his teaching based on that Old Testament law. This is, it really is profound to connect him. Because remember, you know, we always think about Jesus, the founder of Christianity, but Jesus was first and foremost a Jew. He had to live up to the law, he had to know the law, and he had to fulfill the law. Let's go back to what the law said about the poor. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 through 11. Let's do verses 7 and 8 to start. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. So, I mean, that sounds like a really nice thing, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, don't harden your heart or close your hand from your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand and generously lend him. And it's interesting, it uses the word lend. Okay, I, mm -hmm. I think that's an important that is. Yeah. thought there. Lend him sufficient for his need in whatever he lacks. So there is an absolute generosity spoken of in the Old Testament law. And Rick, an awareness for the concerns of others is clear here. Yeah, yeah, and, and not just an awareness, but a required action. It, you know, God is saying to his chosen people, act on what you are aware of. Now, but who, who are the poor being spoken of here? Those of the nation of Israel. Right. They were God's chosen separated people. They, were, they would have been the neighbors, one of the brothers of, of the person being spoken to because they are the ones that surround you. And I think that's also an interesting aspect of this, is these are others who also have the same kind of faith and understanding that you have. They're, they're supposed to live by the same kinds of laws that you're supposed to live by. Makes sense. Okay, so there's that open-heartedness, which is really important. Let's go to verses 9 through 11, because now it, it or not, actually just verse 9 right now, because it really, it sort of 
even focuses it further. Beware that there is no base thought in your heart saying, the seven year, the year of remission is near, and your eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin to you. Okay, so that sounds weird if you don't understand the Old Testament law. It says something about the seventh year of remission being near. And Rick, isn't this talking about the Jubilee? Yeah. Every seven-year period, you get to go back to your own home space, and you're free from debt, and you start fresh and new. Yeah, let's, let's read some commentary from Matthew Henry on this, because this was a particular part of the Jewish law that God had instilled right from the very beginning for them, even before they were in the land. Good. Matthew, comment, Matthew Henry commentary. A law for the relief of poor debtors, such, we may suppose, as were insolent. Every seventh year was a year of release in which the ground rested from being tilled and servants were discharged from their services. And among other acts of grace, this was one that those who had borrowed money and had not been able to pay it before should this year be released from it. And though, if they were able, they were afterwards bound in conscience to repay it. Yet, thenceforth, the creditor should never recover it by law. So there was a matter of being generous and realizing that every seven years there was an e equalizing factor. Now remember, when they went into the land, everybody was given a portion, every family, and it was their responsibility to work that land and take care of it. Sometimes things went wrong, sometimes people were careless, you end up with people who are in debt. There was a way to find your way back and then try to make it right again. And so that seventh year was, was there for that. So God in his law in Deuteronomy is saying, make sure that there's no base, uh, base thought in your heart saying, um, okay, it's the sixth year, and I know next year you're going to get everything back, so I'm not going to lend to you now because the next year you're going to get everything anyway. Well, that's being selfish. Well, and, you know, God put the equalizing in place with that seventh year, but he also addressed it and said, don't use that as an excuse to not be conscious, conscious of, your, of your brother and their situation. Verses 10 and 11 of uh, Deuteronomy 15. You shall graciously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertaking. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. So God continues and says, Generously give to him. Don't let your heart be grieved when you give to him. So he's saying, give out of a good heart, out of a full heart, out of the opportunity to give. And, and I think, Jonathan, one of the reasons for that is because God is saying to them, look, this seven-year period, maybe you've done okay for yourself. Doesn't mean the next seven-year period everything's going to go well for you. You may have sickness in your family. You may have things fall apart, and you may be the one needing in, in that next seven-year period. So give graciously, because you've been blessed. It's not, there's that give and take of giving that I think God is putting in, in their minds. 
And that reminds me of the phrase, uh, the scripture, are you your brother's keeper? Yes. Yes. And yes, we are in, in many, many ways. But it's interesting because God is talking to them about being generous. And then he says, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. So he makes this very concrete statement after all of this lecturing on giving with goodness and graciousness and generosity, he's basically saying, you're never going to weed the poor out of your land. And Rick, isn't that true in society from the beginning till today? Yes. That's always been the case. Right, right. And it will continue to be the case. And that's a very important principle that God laid out in the Old Testament law, and frankly, one that I had never noticed before. Because we're talking about who and what should a Christian support. And a lot of our support goes to those who are needy. Now, you can call them poor, we can call them needy, we can call them uh, uh, um, uh, unfortunate, we can call them oppressed, we can, we can call them all kinds of things, but they're, they're poor in some way or other, okay, for lack of a better word. What, what God is saying to Israel is the poor will never cease to be in your land. And this was the, under God's own laws. And he said, it's still going to happen because life happens. And I think that's an important aspect here. Now, let's take that Old Testament basis, that principle of the Old Testament, and let's move to the New Testament and take a look at Jesus dealing with the poor. Uh, and so let's go to Jesus in the house of Lazarus <clears throat> when Mary anointed his feet with the costly perfume. And this was uh, uh, just before he rode into uh, Jerusalem and was accepted as Messiah. And so this was, you know, just, just days before his crucifixion. We're in John chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, and then verses 7 and 8. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So this is an interesting thing that Jesus says here. He um, is given this wonderful opportunity from, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the woman, and, and she is anointing his feet um, with oil. And there's a, there's a response from, specifically from Judas, but from his, his disciples that are, is very contrary to that. Well, he was the treasurer, and he often stole money from it. So it was showing his selfishness, basically, Rick. Right. But, you know, in the other, in the other accounts, it does say that the disciples murmured at this. So That's it, true. It he was, influenced them to also yeah. <laughs> murmur. You're right. So, so there was this whole thing that's saying, that's a lot of money being poured out on his feet. And Jesus' response almost sounds odd for Jesus. He says, well, look, you always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. I mean, it's like, is he saying that he's more important than the poor? Or is he quoting the scripture that we just read in Deuteronomy, Rick, yeah. where it says, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. And, and, and I really think that that's the connection. I think that Jesus is going back to the Old Testament law saying, look, I, re I recognize the issue of the poor. The poor are always going to be here. This, though, was done against the day of my burial. And this is an important sacrifice on her part for me as I walk this final week of my life. 
the poor you always have with you. And you, you, you look at that and you say, okay, well, then did Jesus care about the poor? Well, of course he did. But then you have to start asking the question, you know, how much did he care about the poor? And we're going to get into that as, as we go through the, uh, uh, the, the several segments of the podcast here. But, but Jonathan, what about the giving part here? Well, Rick, sacrificing for others shows a giving heart to whomever the Lord puts before you in your life. And, you know, it's being Christ-like to, to help uh, or to be a blessing. So we should always look at opportunities that, that come before us. And so she gave in such a way, Mary, Mary gave in such a way that, that it was very, very pointed. And Jesus actually pointed to this and said, they will talk about her willingness and her sacrifice because it was so pointed at me, Jesus, who was the Messiah. So he was the centerpiece of God's plan for the poor. So again, Jesus says the poor are an ever-present issue. Jesus would die to fix that eventually. He was more important than the poor right then and right there. He was more important. So, so Jonathan, what we have seen so far seems to be focused on just giving locally. It does. Why is that? Is Jesus saying to not help those with desperate needs now because he will help them later? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Already this gets tricky. All we have seen so far is that the Old Testament law made specific provisions for the needy. Now, the carrying out of those provisions was largely left up to each individual. The mandate was to pay kind and generous attention, not to solve the problems of the poor, but to pay kind and generous attention. Jesus is speaking directly in line with that mandate. So now, Jonathan, as we go through this particular segment, we really want to focus on what was Jesus' attitude towards the poor? Was he, did he come to just to, to lift the poor out of their, their difficulty, or did he have a different attitude toward the poor? Let's see if we can find out. And I think uh, there's a lot of opinion on that in Christianity today. Yeah, yeah. And many, many side with, of course, he, he said to care for the poor. And, and, and you, can, you can create debates over the social issues of our day and say, if Jesus were here, he would support this. Oh, no, no, no. If Jesus were here, he would stand against that because, well, if <laughs> Jesus were here, and, you know, we can get all ourselves all, all up in a bunch because we, we want to be on the side of Jesus. Well, what was the side of Jesus? Let's see if we can find that out as we go through his scriptural uh, teachings to us about the poor and about priorities. And again, it really comes down to priorities. Remember the rich young ruler who asked Jesus about eternal life? Oh, yeah. He was a, he was a wonderful man, and Jesus admired him, actually. Yes, yes. So let's drop in on that. Remember, he, this young man comes running up to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus you know, is going to give him an answer here. And let's just kind of jump into the story at that point. We're going to read from the Mark rendering, Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 18 to 22. And Jesus said to him, 
you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Okay, a lot of moving parts here. But Jesus' advice, first of all, he says to this rich young man who, who's really focused, and you said he was a good man. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and Jesus, it says, Jesus, looking at him, felt a love for him. He, he appreciated where this young man was coming from. And he says, okay, look, sell all that you have and give to the poor. Jesus wasn't saying, sell all that you have and give all that you have to the poor. Jesus, well, what was he saying then? Jesus was, the giving to the poor was just part of the equation. Jesus instead focused on the man completely divesting himself of his earthly attachments. Because he knew that this man owned much and was attached to much. And this man came to Jesus with one question only. How do I inherit eternal life? I know it has something to do with you. I'll do whatever you tell me. And so the one thing he lacked was his attachment to worldly things. Is that what you're saying? Right. He was too attached. So Jesus said, okay, you've, you've kept the commandments. I appreciate that. Now, Jesus knew he didn't keep them perfectly, but he knew that his heart was in the right place. And so the one thing you lack is divest yourself. Don't be attached any longer. Move upward from all of those things. Now, it's not about the poor. The subject of the matter is the man divesting himself. And when he says, and give to the poor, this man, because he knew the law, would have understood the attitude of giving to the poor. You're not giving to the poor to solve the problem of poverty. You're giving to the poor to help those who are in front of you that have a specific need at that specific moment. Well, also, Rick, if you're following after Jesus, you have got to focus on following Jesus. You can't have all of these distractions to truly follow Jesus. So that is what what he's saying. Yeah, yeah. Now, we live in a different time. You know, the poor were around, they were in the streets, the average person walked down the average street, and you saw those poor people and the beggars and so forth and so on. The world is very different now. Now we can get involved in supporting the, the, the poor by not seeing them, by not knowing them, by, by searching online with a click of a button. We can give a sum of money, and we can feel good about it. What about that? Now, Jesus obviously doesn't address giving to the poor via Google. You know, he doesn't address that in Scripture. <laughs> no, he <doesn't. laughs> okay? He doesn't say, Google the poor. And, and you, but here's the thing, folks. What we have to look at is we're not saying that you shouldn't be kind-hearted to, to everybody around. But what we are saying is we need to be understanding of how these kinds of things work. Because in those days, you gave something of value to somebody in front of you, or you gave to the treasury and you knew that they would take care of very specific individuals. Now you put that money, you click send, and the money comes out of your account and goes to whatever charity, and it gets diversified somehow or other 
ways that you have no idea. Okay? Want to go to a soundbite from the best and worst charities from what Travis says. And, you know, he, in this, in this, in this uh, YouTube video, he outlined several charities that he thought were bad. I don't want to deal with that, but we just want to deal with the idea of how charities work and can work, and we will give you some of his suggestions for good charities that really spend a lot of the money on the actual cause. But this is just some interesting background information because our giving today has a different environment than the giving in Jesus' day. So let's listen. A foundation could hire a telemarketer to actually get the job done and get the word out there. But when everything is said and done, they might owe the telemarketer more money than they brought in. And that happens with a lot of charities. Telemarketers are expensive. They're annoying, but they're expensive. They're really expensive. Sometimes the people running the charity are involved in a scam, but a lot of the times they just, they have no idea. But that's no excuse. The donors are still getting ripped off. Police, disaster relief, children with cancer. These are all triggers that people have and they want to help. And when these charities pop up and they're like, here, help the kids with cancer with these police dads who were affected by a tsunami, a normal person would be like, ah, take all my money. You know, and we're all like that. You, you see something, you see something big that's difficult and you want to help. You want to be a part of it. And that's a good thing. But as Christians, what's our responsibility? Should we just be giving to the next charity that comes up that's flashing its neon sign in front of us? Or do we need to be more discriminating, and I'm using that word on purpose, discriminating about what we give to, how we give to it, and why we give to it? We've got to be careful. And Rick, uh, we're told to love our neighbor as ourselves. We should be aware of the needs of those around us to show up that personal touch and that personal care that we're thinking of them, we care about them, and what can we do to help if, if you see that there's a need. So what you're saying is charity begins at home. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a really important principle, and I think that that's a lot of what we're going to see Jesus actually did teach us. So we're going to come back to that thought in just a few minutes, but that's a really important basis, an important foundation for our giving. So, so if you thought that listening to, the, to today's podcast, we we're going to list off the charities you should give to and the ones you should avoid, that's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> what we want to do is we want to lift off, lift, list off scriptural principles for you to make your own spiritually-minded decision of where your money goes to and why, where your time goes to and why. Let's go to another scripture that Jesus talks about the poor in a very similar fashion. This is Luke 12, verses 29 to 34. And do not seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things shall be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So he's saying, seek God's kingdom and these things, the worldly things that you have need of, will be added to you. Not everything that you want, but the things that you have need of, your needs will be taken care of. 
And we'll get into how does that actually happen a little bit later. But again, Jonathan, the same phrase, sell your possessions and give to charity. It's not saying sell your possessions and send all of the money to the poor. It's simply saying those are two things you can do. Get rid of the things you don't need and take care of people who have needs. And that's exactly what I was thinking, Rick, because we can all downsize. And uh, minimalists are a big thing right now, doing without clutter and things that you really don't have need of. But obviously others do. And so there's an opportunity for you um, to do that. And and I was thinking um, we have a lawn service here. About three or four people are going crazy all over the front and backyard. And I was going to put things out front, but I mentioned to some of the young young people doing the work saying, hey, I'm going to be putting these things out front. But, you know, if there's anything you need specifically, you know, feel free to take it. And it was amazing. The guy replied, I'm moving into an apartment. We have no furniture. And that and that would be a real big help. My wow, <laughs> my roommate's going to be excited to know that we have some, something to put in. So I was very thankful for the timing and the ability to, to be a blessing. You know, and charity does begin at home, and it's so much more powerful in terms of our witness when it can be face-to-face somehow or other. So that is, that's a great, great example. So again, focus on divesting yourself and, you know, minimal, minimizing the minimalist movement that is, is, is in place really does, you know, we're, we're a world of extremes. You see the minimalist movement, and then you drive down any street and notice how many storage places there are that have popped up. Oh, that's true. <laughs> okay. Storage units, why? Because we don't have the pl- st- places at home to keep our stuff. So, you know, we've got, we've got issues on both sides of that. But again, focus on divesting yourself of earthly attachment from which the poor may benefit some. Jesus wasn't saying the poor are the most important thing. What he's saying is your divesting yourself of earthly attachment is the most important thing. And let the poor benefit from that divesting of yourself. That's important to understand the principle behind it. So, so Jonathan, Jesus really seems to be to see helping the poor as a do what you can along the way, very much like the example you just gave. He sees it in that as, as an issue like that rather than a solve the problem of poor being poor issue. Why, why do you think that is? Well, Rick, the kingdom is the big solution for, for the poor. But showing compassion along the way is Christ-like. Um, now, it depends on what they need. Now, you have to be careful. If you know that the beggars on the street corners use the money they're given for their drug habit, I would avoid them. Uh, but if someone is in need of a meal, buy them one. You know, listen to them. Um, give them time, your attention. Uh, teach them, comfort them, make suggestions to help. I think that's all uh, relevant. So, again, you're, you're really focusing on the idea of our truest, best charity does begin at home and be, be thoughtful in your trying to fulfill someone's needs and to, to buy them a meal rather than to, to just give money is, is really a very important thing. You know, Jonathan, this next true example displays great wisdom in dealing with some of the dangers of giving financial aid. This is an old example, but it's a very true story. One of our contributors sent this to us, and it was really, it's a really powerful historical lesson. This is a lesson from Abraham Lincoln and his brother John. His brother John had debts, 
His brother John was not terribly literate, so we're going to be quoting a letter that his brother John wrote to Abraham Lincoln, and then Abraham Lincoln's response. This was in 1850, 1851, right in that area. And so when we read John's letter, we're going to have one of uh, our, our contributors read this for us. Um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you're saying, what is, he, what is he saying? Well, he wasn't that literate, and it, she's reading it exactly the way it was written. So, Brother John's letter. Late 1850, Abraham Lincoln's stepbrother, John D. Johnston, wrote to him and asked yet again for a loan with which to settle some debts. Said Johnston, I am dunned and dogged to death, so I am almost tired of living, and I would almost swap my place in heaven for that much money. I would rather live on bread and water than to have men always dunning me. If you can send me $80, I'm willing to pay you any interest you will ask. On previous occasions, Lincoln simply would have agreed to such a request. This time, however, sensing an opportunity to impart some wisdom, he responded with the following letter of advice and a proposal. Yeah, the following letter of advice. If you thought we were going to tell you that letter now, you just got to wait. <laughs> That's coming up. We're going to start that next segment. But <clears throat> so, Jonathan, excuse me, I've got a little bit of an issue here. Um, there is something about uh, Abraham Lincoln's looking at his, his, his stepbrother in a, in a very different way this time than he had previously because he would have bailed him out previously. And he's thinking at a higher level now. Very, very powerful. We'll get to that as we go. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 and then 9 through 10. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, and recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. So there's an important principle that is laid out here between uh, the Apostle Paul uh, and uh, Peter, James, and Peter, uh, uh, um, James, Peter, and John, sorry. And, you know, they're, they're going about preaching the gospel to different groups, and they're going separate directions to people that, that, that you know, James, Peter, James, and John would never meet the people that the Apostle Paul was going to see. The only thing they asked was, remember the poor. Who? The poor amongst us. Showing compassion and Christ-likeness because Jesus showed compassion. Right, but it's the poor amongst us in our brotherhood that was a specific focus for them. And we're going to have to expand that in a little bit. Before we do that, Jonathan, let's get down to some practicality of supporting and, and, and giving to those who are less fortunate. And again, this is from one of our CQ contributors. It's not just money. How to support the poor or less fortunate in our line of sight just like you were talking about earlier, people that are around you. What are here? here the, she, she gave us several bullet points here. Let's go through them. Work in soup kitchens. Volunteer services give rides back and forth to the hospital to those going through chemotherapy. Take the needy and infirmed grocery shopping. Also bring the needy food now and then. Mow their lawn, shovel their snow, or do some house cleaning if you're able. Make a cash donation once in a while, as long as you do not enable them. So what she's saying is, look around you, and if you feel compelled to give to help those who are less fortunate, that's a good thing. But do it wisely, and do it by 
by by directing what you're doing in a way that that you can see some of the result. In other words, you can control the outcome instead of giving dollars that you have no idea how much how many of those dollars are actually going to help somebody. So it's all really important to get this practical application of of supporting the poor in order. So while Jesus was concerned about the poor, they were not his main concern. No, they weren't. What about other things? Does the Bible give us guidance on Christian responsibility to protect the environment and animals? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. Some of the largest causes in our world today are those that revolve around the earth and animals. Because the Bible was written so many centuries ago, there was not any mention of such causes, but the scriptures do give us principles. Naturally, these principles are subject to our interpretation. Nevertheless, we are given principles to work by. So, Jonathan, in this segment, we want to talk about, do we want to save the animals and do we want to save the earth? What's the Christian's responsibility in these areas? Uh, let's, let's start with a uh, quick quote from Mahatma Gandhi. The best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. And I, I, I love listening to his words because they were always so selfless, and it really does fit in very well with the, the Christian way of looking at things. It does indeed. So let's get started with this segment, looking at the world around us. And again, let's go back to the best and worst charities from what Travis says. And he gives us some concrete pointers as to the what to look for in the charities that you may want to be um, contributing to. So how do you donate wisely? Well, number one, crowdfunding is very risky. If there's a tsunami disaster, all of these charities popping up saying, here, donate us money, we'll get the money to these people right away, we promise, but you've never really heard of them. Before you donate money, look for a track record. The company has to have something backing it, like look at all these years of experience, look how awesome we are. Now give us money, you can trust us with it. If a nonprofit pops up saying that they're going to give money to these people affected by a disaster, A, if you've never heard of them, that's a red flag, and B, if there's not really much information about them online, that's another red flag. Now don't go immediately thinking that they are a scam, but if they're new to the game, they might not have the perfect administration, and it might take a really long time for your dollar to reach the people who need it. Okay, and you know, a lot of it does come down to what percentage of the money goes to the actual needy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you've gotten solicitor phone calls. Uh, oh, yeah, it's a big thing. And occasionally I'll ask, you know, what percentage of the dollars, you know, that I, that I would give to you go to the, to the people who are in need? And they, by law, have to give you an answer. If you ask that question, they're supposed to know the answer to that question. If they avoid the issue, then, you know, forget it, as far as I'm concerned. But usually, the answer that I've, I've received when I've asked that question is maybe 10%. Wow. Yeah, so you give, you know, $50, 
and $5 ends up going to somebody in need. And my response is often, and this is just Rick speaking, is often, well, I can give, I can give more than $5 you know, myself directly to someplace that I know it's going to do some good. So you, you just got to be, be aware. You know? And for me, that's being responsible as a Christian. For me, this is the money that, that I earn that is supposed to be used in God's service somehow or other. So I want to make sure that my generosity is in line with Jesus' footsteps. What does that mean in relation to the earth? Saving the environment, saving the animals. Well, managing animals in the environment. First, animals are given for man's use. Let's establish that. We usually would go back to Genesis and say, God gave Adam dominion over the earth. Let's not do that. Let's go back to Noah after the flood and they come out of the ark. Here's what God said to him in Genesis chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with what everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. So this is a very different story at this point, God is saying to Noah, all of the animals I give you dominion over, they're going to be afraid of you, and you can eat any one of them that you want. (laughs) (laughs) It's my gift to you. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it's like, and, and you know, you can take a gift like that, and you can really, really easily, easily abuse it, because it's like you're given, you know, so much power, so much authority, and God says the fear of you and terror of you will be on every beast of the earth. And you think, wait, would God want it to be that way? Man had dominion. He was supposed to be above the animals. And he says, you can eat whatever you want to eat. But do you want to be careless? Well. And, and just be, be ah, you, you've got to think wisely. If this is a gift given to you, how can you use it to its best Well, and and that's the point. Consider who God was talking to. God was talking to Noah, who was the one man that he could trust. And so while he's giving Noah this command, he's giving it to the best possible carrier of the command to say, God delivered us through this great deluge. He, he, He spared all of these animals. He's giving us the earth. We have to be respectful of all of that. And so, yes, just because you have dominion doesn't give you the the ability to be careless and do whatever you want to be disrespectful. That's not what God was saying. Again, we go back to Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 12, and this is back to the the law, which is actually, you know, much, much later than Noah. You shall sow your land for six years and gather its yield. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and lie fallow, so that the needy of your people may eat, and whatever they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You are to do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. So what God is saying in the law is that, you know, you're, you're going to work the land for six years, gather the yield for six years, and the seventh year, you're going to let it sit. Do not plant a thing. Let it be. Let the land rest. And Jonathan, that's just along the lines you were saying about not being disrespectful, about having dominion. But God says, look, your dominion has to have guidelines. 
And part of those guidelines is giving the land time to regroup in, in terms of its, its mineral production and so forth so it can, it can support you. And even though you're not tilling the ground and reseeding, fruit will still appear and grow from the last year's uh, crop and seed. And that is now given to those that are in need to say, oh, I have a meal. I can gather a little bit for this week. Right. And it's a help. Right. So verse 12 now continues with that thought of not being disrespectful to what God has given. Six days you are to do your work, but on the seventh day you shall cease from labor so that your ox and your donkey may rest and the son of your female slave as well as your stranger may refresh themselves. So even when you had people working for you, and now let's get it straight, when they talk about slaves here, it's not like the slaves of Roman times. These were indentured servants here, much more uh, that much more uh, readily described what was going on. And it's saying you cannot work them seven days a week. On the seventh day, on, on, on that Sabbath, they rest just like you rest. On the seventh year, the land rests. Everybody deserves rest. Be respectful, even though you have dominion. Dominion means respect, not only for that which is created, but more so for the creator. I mean, you know, God gives us the earth to work with, and we have to realize that what God gave us really is his that he's letting us use, and that's shown to us in Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for this world is mine, and it all and all it contains. So even though God says, I give this all to you, he's saying to us, be respectful of it. So Jonathan, when we think about the earth, when we think about the animals, with the scriptural principles that we have just seen, what are some ways we might view our giving support for animal and environmental issues as Christians? Well, my thought was, Rick, don't waste food. Recycle. Use pet-friendly weed killer in your personal space. And use a spirit of a sound mind. But as Christians, we should not be wasting our time fighting for animal rights or against global warming. The kingdom will solve all the world's issues. But, Rick... On a personal note, we adopted a rescue dog from Alabama. Um, and if you do see someone harming an animal, report it <laughs> because it's not right. Okay, okay. So, so wait, wait. You adopted a rescue dog. Yes. But just a minute ago, you said don't go fighting for animal rights. Well, That's correct. It, yeah, but isn't well, that what you just did? No, this is in a personal way. As is our family saying, this is a good thing to to adopt this dog that had been abused as a puppy, and now we can give it love and care and make a difference with this one animal. So what you're, you're saying again is kind of, for, from your perspective as a Christian, really work at sort of the charity begins at home aspect, where yes. I can make a difference with something that's in front of me. Mm -hmm, I'm, I'm exactly. not going to change the world, no, but I can change this and this. And doing that within the context of the rest of our Christianity. Exactly. Rick. See, 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 folks, I think one of the big issues here is th that we have to be careful of is our Christianity com can become defined by the causes that we support. And the question is is that how you want your Christianity defined, or do you want it defined by being a follower of Jesus and his footsteps? 
Because when you look at, you know, ask what causes did Jesus support? What were the causes? He supported the kingdom. Yeah. God's kingdom to come. And and he supported those and trained those to follow in his footsteps, his disciples, his apostles. And he preached, love one another as I have loved you. So he was all about being careful and honoring and, and respectful and merciful one to another. Now, let's, let's, we'll develop this further, okay? Let's go to another scripture. As we ask ourselves about where to put our time, money, and support, we need to think really, really carefully, especially with world issues and environmental issues and animal issues. and, and the, the, Because, Jonathan, there's issues everywhere. There are. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. All right. So he's talking about us as being stewards. Stewardship. When you're a steward, you are watching over something that's not yours. And a good steward does that as though it were his. So we have, what we have and what we are is not ours. We that's are st- right. It belongs to God. Right. <laughs> Through Christ. Right. Our lives don't belong to us they belong to God through Christ. So would God want us to be concerned about worldly issues in the world? Sure. Would he want us to be worried about issues in the world? Hmm. Would he want us to be consumed by specific issues in the world? Uh, they can't see I you not. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. And That's see, taking time away. That's taking right. clutter away. That's taking distract. That's be- causing distraction in right. your walk. So it's bringing distraction in where there shouldn't be distraction. So yes, be concerned. That's that's appropriate. But to be worried or consumed, those are different things. So in our in our looking at the issues of the world, the environment, animals, and all of those things, just be sure that it's not consuming because that's not what Jesus did. Let's go back to Abraham Lincoln. Because remember, his, his stepbrother is asking him for a loan of $80 because he's in debt, he's in trouble, and if he could only be rid of this, he'd gladly give up his place in heaven for this $80. Now, back in 1850, $80 was a lot of money, okay? Here's what Abe Lincoln says to him in his letter back. January 2nd, 1851. Dear Johnston, your request for $80 I do not think it best to comply with now. At the various times when I've helped you a little, you've said to me, we can get along very well now, but in a very short time I find you in the same difficulty again. Now, this can only happen by some defect in your conduct. What that defect is, I think I know. You are not lazy, and still you are an idler. I doubt whether, since I saw you, you have done a good day's work in any one day. You do not very much dislike to work, and still you do not work much merely because it does not seem to you that you could get much for it. This habit of uselessly wasting your time is the whole difficulty. It is vastly important to you, and still more so to your children, that you should break the habit. It is more important to them because they have longer to live and can keep out of an idle habit before they are in it, easier than they can get out after they are in. So Lincoln tells him, look, I'm not going to tell you you're lazy, but I am going to tell you you're an idler. And he says something very specific. I doubt whether you've done a full day's work any day since I've seen you last. 
because you continually run into the same problem. So he takes a very hard stand with his stepbrother here. Plus, he, he teaches them how to try to be a better example to his own children. Well, and he says, you know, for the sake of your kids, this isn't good. Yeah, exactly, because they're going to learn the, from you the same pattern. Right. <laughs> so now Lincoln goes much further than this, and at the next couple of segments will we'll reveal the rest of his letter, but it's really profound. And he gives us principles that are scriptural for helping and supporting others. Right along with stewardship is the principle of sound doctrine to be fully observed in practice. Let's go to Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We'll take verses 1 and 2 to begin with. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Okay, so he's saying, now again, stewardship is is primary. Titus says, um, speak things fitting of sound doctrine. Okay, what consumes us? Remember we were talking about things that can consume us? What consumes us is what we stand for. Do we stand for sound doctrine or for causes that I stand for and I think need to be fixed or changed? Let's go to verses. So he talks to the older men saying, you got to stand for sound doctrine. Verses three to five. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, be subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So again, he talks to the older women and to the younger women, and he says, he speaks to them along the same lines. Live at a higher level than everybody else around you. Don't do what the people around you do because you represent something higher. In our giving, in our charity, we have to abide by those same principles. And then verses 6 through 8, he talks to the younger men. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds and purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Let us not be consumed by things that are not Christ-like, just because we feel strongly about them. What should we give to? What should we stand for? This is how our Christianity is really defined. So caring for the world is really not our biggest concern either. So what is? That is exactly what we're getting into now. The Bible is telling us to use spiritual clarity in our charity. But about charity, what about the charity and the brotherhood? Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ deep dive. What we give and how we support our fellow Christians is a very different paradigm according to the New Testament. This is an area that is not only mentioned frequently, but it is spoken of as singular and distinct as a way to serve God. Helping one another helps you fulfill your covenant of sacrifice. And that's the key. Helping one another is one of those distinct ways that we fulfill the need 
to have charity in our lives. So, Jonathan, we're going to go to a soundbite. Well, before we do that, uh, Trish is here, and she has got a comment of sorts. Trish? Oh, okay, wait. She did have a comment. Maybe we'll go to the soundbite first, and then we'll come back to that. So let's go to a soundbite from... Favorite uh, from the best and worst charities, what Travis says, and uh, he's going to talk about some of his favorite charities. And and, and look, we're not going we're not sitting here to advocate these specific charities one way or another. But the reasons that they're some of his favorite charities, I think, are valid, and I think they're worth listening to. Some of my favorite charities include Disabled American Veterans. Their head honcho, who runs the whole thing, makes zero dollars. Zilch. St. Jude Research Hospital. 100% of all donation goes to these kids with cancer who have no insurance to pay for treatment. 100%. The Make-A-Wish Foundation. Once again, 100% of your donation goes to the special wish of a dying child. 100%. Direct Relief. 98.7% of all money donated either goes to help or goes to fundraising. And since fundraising and spreading awareness only takes up 0.5% of whatever's donated, nearly all of your dollar goes to, as the name states, give direct relief. Ronald McDonald Houses. Say whatever you want about the food, but 100% of everything donated goes to housing parents who have critical children in the hospital. So... Those are some good um, principles there. Again, you, whatever, whatever you think of those particular charities is not the issue. What I think was important was he was saying these charities have an organization that pays the expenses of the charity so that your money can really go to work. And isn't that really what we want? Isn't that, we want to make a difference. Yeah, and I'm glad he did that research to let us know that. Okay, so that, that gives us a little bit of help. Trish, what do you have for us? Yes, we have a uh, chat comment from ChristianQuestions.com. It says, my grandmother had relatives in a foreign country in need. She sent them money to buy a cow so that they had the opportunity to reap the benefit from their care and love for this animal. They agreed to use the money to buy a cow. Okay, so so pretty simple. And and she sent the money so they could have a cow, so that cow could produce for them a perpetual ability to help them live. And that's powerful. Rather than giving them something, they gave, she, she gave them a direction to, to use that, that specific money. And so that, that's a great, great example of dollars and cents really well, well used. Thanks, Trish, for that. Okay, let's get down now, Jonathan, to the giving within the brotherhood, because there's lots written in the scriptures about that, a lot written. The first principle of giving financially to the brotherhood is each of us has to do our own part. Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 27 and 28. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. So in this scripture, it's saying, look, it doesn't matter what your background is. If you were a thief before, and now you've come to Christianity, and you've, and you've turned your back on that world, good. Go to work. Do something powerful and positive with your hands. If you're capable, and you're a Christian, it's really simple. Apply yourself. Okay? Don't be a cause for charity. Be a a, a, um, a conduit through which charity can flow from and through. 
Great uh, quote here from Andrew Carnegie. There is no use whatever trying to help people who do not help themselves. You cannot push anyone up a ladder unless he is willing to climb himself. And that's part of the point of the Christian principle. And that's what Abe Lincoln was saying to his, uh, to his uh, stepbrother. Look, uh, you know, you're not lazy, but you're an idler. Get to work. <laughs> okay. Hey, Rick, a practical example. Yes. Uh, hospitality. Uh, say that you know uh, in the brotherhood there are those that are in need. Well, an idea is invite them over with others of the brotherhood for a meal so that you can help them uh, literally with that meal. But also, Rick, you can help them with spiritual encouragement, spiritual focus, and, and fellowship, which will, will, will raise their, their heart and mind higher, plus eating a meal. Just a thought. Yeah, and, and see, that, that makes a difference. It, and, you know, the scriptures are, are clear about us supporting one another in multiple ways. It's not just dollars and cents, but you're right. By being hospitable, you add so much more to that. Don't create an environment where it's acceptable to be a slug. Okay. <laughs> well, look, that's what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. Okay, so how do, you know, if you're not willing to work, then you don't eat. Now, look, what the apostle is saying is, we are representatives of Christ. We need to pull our own weight, each of us as well as and as best as we can. And sometimes, Jonathan, you can't. Sometimes right. there might there there there's a there's an illness or a disability or something, and then you help. But if there's not the illness or the disability or the unfortunate circumstance, you rise up and you go to work so you can be one who can be contributing to others. How do we create an environment for productiveness? Well, don't be a slug, first of all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see what Abe Lincoln did. Um, again, we're going to go back to Abe Lincoln's letter, his proposed solution to his stepbrother, and then Trisha's got another comment for us. So back to Abe Lincoln's letter. His, he has just told his stepbrother, look, you know, you're really going to have to, uh, I'm not giving you money this time around, but I am going to suggest something else. You are now in need of some money, and what I propose is that you shall go to work tooth and nail for somebody who will give you money for it. Let father and your boys take charge of your things at home, prepare for a crop, and make the crop, and you go to work for the best money wages, or in discharge of any debt you owe that you can get. And to secure you a fair reward for your labor, I now promise you that for every dollar you will, between this and the 1st of May, get for your own labor, either in money or as your own indebtedness, I will then give you one other dollar. By this, if you hire yourself at $10 a month, for me you will get 10 more, making $20 a month for your work. In this, I do not mean you shall go off to St. Louis or the lead mines or the gold mines in California, but I mean for you to go at it for the best wages you can get close to home in Coles County. What a great idea. Okay, look, you need to go to work. You have been an idler. 
Uh, but here's the thing. Go to work. Go find something local, even if it doesn't pay that well, and I'll double your money. For every dollar you earn, I'll give you another dollar. And he puts a time frame on it from now until such and such a time. And then, you know, we'll, we'll see how far you get. But he's saying, I'll help you only after you help yourself. Powerful, powerful story. Trish, another comment? Yes, we have a comment from the chat um, from ChristianQuestions.com. It says, the 10% of your donation is not necessarily a fair point. Most charities that do the most, that is, most fundraisers for cancer research, may only spend 10% directly, but the 90% is spent on marketing, corporate solicitation, government lobbying, etc., this in turn often generates many magnitudes more net dollars for cancer research. Suddenly your dollar is worth 20. Most hoard entirely too much money in this country and have plenty to give a lot more freely. Having an attitude of skepticism of those asking for help only sets up barriers in our hearts. Okay, good, good, uh, good thought. Now, there, there's, I, would, I would take some issue with some of that, but... Um, uh, it, it's important to realize that you shouldn't be, you know, just plain old skeptical, but decide what's important and give, and really honestly and truly give, I, again, a Rick opinion, I would give first and foremost to things that are local to me, that, that I can have an effect upon with my own efforts and my own dollars, because that way you can really truly see. You know, and if you want to talk about government lobbying and all of that, then you've got to ask yourself, okay, is that what we're really supposed to be, you know, working towards with our Christianity? Now, for some of us, you might say, yes, it's appropriate. Great, if you believe that, and your conscience, your Christian conscience, Christian conscience is clear on that, go right ahead. For others of us, myself, included in, in this next in this next group i i'm much more skeptical on those things so you know good point though very very valid point appreciate the the eloquence with which it was uh, presented as well jonathan back to the principles of giving to the brotherhood because that's the, really the focus of this segment the first principle was give financially to the brotherhood each has to do their own part the second principle of giving to the brotherhood is set your mind to do it romans 12 10 to 14 be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoice in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So set your mind to do it. And Romans 12 is a great chapter to look at about setting our minds. So what are some practical ways that we can give to others financially, keeping in mind the proper attitude of helping for the sake of helping and not for reward? Jonathan, what do you think? Well, Rick, I had several uh, thoughts on this. First, giving um, brethren money might not necessarily be the best thing. Bringing them bags of groceries or gift certificates to specific stores or pay a bill for them uh, might, might be better. And Rick, giving to someone uh, something without them knowing the source of the gift sometimes may be appropriate. And I, I was also thinking, since I'm, I have my own business, if you own your own business and you can use the help, that may be an option to help one of the brethren. 
Uh, also, um, pay brethren in need to do work at your home uh, that you need done anyway. Uh, give it to someone that you trust and, and can rely on. So you're, you're, you're putting some of those Abe Lincoln principles to work. You know, help those and help, have them help themselves as you help them. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and those are very, very powerful, powerful points as well. You know, I've, I've had the, the, the experience of being able to be the delivery person for that uh, um, anonymous gift. There was a per, uh, one of the brotherhood was in need. Somebody saw it, wanted to help. They came to me and said, look, this person is in need here. I don't want them to know where it came from. Would you deliver it for me? That is one of the greatest jobs you could ever have in life. Awesome. Just to watch the face, to watch the face of the giver and to watch the face of the receiver and to be the only one who gets to know who both of them are. It's just (laughs) such a cool thing, you know, but also in the standpoint of um, responsibility, I've also had the the harder side of the responsibility where, and I'll be vague on this, but you know, in in the past circumstances where one of the, the brotherhood had, had a relative uh, from another country in this in 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 our country, and uh, but we're not able to support them, and they were being supported by someone else who really it wasn't it wasn't their responsibility, and got involved in that because of that imbalance, and basically said, look, you know this isn't this isn't the way it, it needs to be. You're putting burden on someone who really can't manage that. So let's give it a time frame. If you can manage to be able to support your relative by such and such a time, great. If not. I will pay for the plane ticket to fly them back to their home. And when the time was up, Jonathan, I had to pay for the plane ticket to fly them back home. But again, to me, that was the right way to be supportive because it was a burden and a strain on someone who just was overwhelmed by it. So we have to balance these things, even amongst the, the brotherhood. The third principle in giving to the brotherhood is trust God and give. Support and help the body of Christ. Paul deeply encouraged the support of those Christians who were destitute beyond their control by those who had enough. The beauty here is that one group did not even know the other group. And that's an incredible testimony to real true giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7, and uh, then 12-15. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has proposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, so the first point is we are all supposed to sow. And the apostle is saying, sow bountifully. You'll reap bountifully. It's not that you're going to get back money when you give money. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about the cheerfulness of giving for the sake of giving. Go ahead, 12 through 15. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. While they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So he's saying that you're going to be supplying the needs of the saints. 
there's going to be an overflowing through many thanksgivings to God because you're giving of your your own hard-earned money to those who you don't even know. There's going to be wonderful, wonderful bounty as a result of that. They're going to pray for you. They're going to be thankful. This is a this is the classic win-win situation when you cheerfully give to those who absolutely have a need and you all praise God together. And then he ends it by saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, which was Jesus, because that's the greatest gift. And our little giving to one another is, is just what we do in the shadow of that great, great gift. So mutual generous support is not only a blessing to the receiver, it is profoundly blessing the giver as well. So now our main focus for giving is becoming clearer. It is narrow, but it is clearer. Yes, and there is even more to it. We are emphatically told to monetarily help those of us who are less fortunate. How else can we help them? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. Now we can, in a way, put giving and support into overdrive. Financial support is a great tool, especially for those we don't know. An even better tool is personal, active support of those who are in need of it. This is harder because it will require a time investment, and it is more challenging for it takes our serious focus as well. So, Jonathan, our Christian giving to the Brotherhood is not just about dollars, but it's about our time, our effort, our support of one another emotionally and spiritually and physically in a lot of different ways. That's where some of our greatest charity work, the Scriptures tell us, should be. Amen, Rick. So as we go into this final segment, Jonathan, we've looked at you know giving to the poor, and we realize that Jesus told us, look, the poor are going to be with you always. He told us that because that's what God said in the Old Testament, and it's true. And he said, you want to be kind-hearted toward the poor, but you can't solve the problem of poverty. And as a Christian, Jesus preached love and all of that, but it wasn't to solve the problem of poverty. It was to usher in God's kingdom, which will solve the problem of poverty later. That's right. We talked about giving in terms of the world around us, animals and and the environment and so forth. We found out that there is respect required of us toward the world around us. God gave man dominion, but he didn't give us careless dominion. And we have to be careful of that. And we, we're talking about it in terms of not being consumed or overwrought with such things. But if you have a, a healthy respect, fine. Just don't make those things your personal causes because our personal cause is Christ. And then we talked about giving to the brotherhood and especially financially. And the New Testament is full of examples of that kind of giving. And when, Jonathan, when the New Testament is full of those examples— that's really where our giving should be focused on. Absolutely, Rick, because if you do it to one of the least of one of these, you're doing it as unto the Lord. Right. So, and now in this final segment, it's okay, even beyond financial giving, we want to be able to support each other in other ways. Great quote from Napoleon Hill, then we'll get started down this road. 
it is literally true that you can see best and quickest by helping others to succeed. All right, our success is absolutely <clears throat> better when we are helping <clears throat> others to succeed as well. Supporting the brotherhood in a personal and spiritual manner. First and foremost, we belong in the service and support of the brotherhood. And see, this we have to we have to remember this point. We belong in the service and support of the brotherhood. All of the other giving, Jonathan, that we had talked about throughout this entire podcast, outside of the brotherhood, those were peripheral things to the Christian life. These that we talked about last segment and this segment are where we actually belong. 1 John 3, 16 through 18. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Little children, it's not about loving because you say you love, but love in what you do and in what is right on a spiritual level. We ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. These are the basic principles of where our greatest charity work should be amongst ourselves. That is what the scriptures teach us. Let's go to Abraham Lincoln's conclusion of his letter to his stepbrother. And I imagine a stepbrother at this point reading the letter would be thinking, oh man, I don't get the $80. <laughs> and he wants me to what? Work? And, you know, so you've got the incentive. Remember, I, you know, for every dollar I earn, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll match a dollar up, and, um, up until May 1st. And so this letter was written, I think, about around January 1st. So you've got January, February, March, and April. You've got a good four months to be able to work your way out of issues. So, you know, Abe is being very profound in this. Listen to his conclusion uh, for his uh, stepbrother. Now. If you do this, you will soon be out of debt, and what is better, you will have a habit that will keep you from getting in debt again. But if I should now clear you out of debt, next year you would be just as deep in as ever. You say you would almost give your place in heaven for 70 or $80, then you value your place in heaven very cheap. For I'm sure you can, with the offer I make, get the 70 or $80 for four or five months' work. You say if I will furnish you the money, you will deed me the land, and if you don't pay the money back, you will deliver possession. Nonsense. If you can't now live with the land, how will you then live without it? You have always been kind to me, and I do not mean to be unkind to you. On the contrary, if you will but follow my advice, you will find it worth more than 80 times $80 to you. Affectionately your brother, A. Lincoln. He's, he's a great brother, you know that? He is, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a powerful tool to put in the hand of someone personal responsibility. And in our charity, that's part of what we want to do wherever possible, is put it in the hand, that charity in the hand of others. And Rick, uh, the Chinese proverb, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. And that's so true. So we're, we're learning a lot about the, the giving. So let's get down to the support, the 
quote, charitable support we give to the brotherhood. Go to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to take this pretty much verse by verse. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Okay, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Um, but you got to look out for yourself that you're not going to be, be tempted. So this kind of support, someone's caught in a trespass and you want to help them, this kind of support requires a spiritual and merciful mind as it's dealing with the subtlety of sin. And, and Jonathan, let, let's just dwell on this just for a moment here. If anyone is caught in a trespass, so what that means is we are involved with the lives of the brotherhood enough to realize when such a thing might be happening. That's right. Now, maybe they're confiding to us some of their issues in their life, or maybe we're observing some behavior that's a little bit off, and, we're, and we, we, can, we could talk to them about those things and, and, and speak to them from the heart, not coming down upon them, but, but in, in fellowship. But it implies being close enough to be able to be involved in understanding there's something wrong. Exactly. And that's a level of fellowship, folks, I hate to say it, is th- that's probably rare. It's not common enough. We should be more involved with one another so that we can support along those lines. So restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Not you fool, but in the spirit of gentleness. Verse 2 speaks volumes of Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The word bear, to bear one another's burdens, literally means to take up and to carry the heaviness or the weight of something. Now here's the thing. It doesn't mean that you take responsibility for the weight. Rather, it means that you just help with the heaviness of the burden. Now, that's a hard thing to do because sometimes, and I, and I can tell you in my own life, I have come way too close or gone over the line on this with others mm-hmm. and take You're not the it, only one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually taken the burden of someone upon my own shoulders that really did not belong to me. And those are hard lessons to learn. They are. Because you're not, you're not helping them. You're relieving them for a moment, but you're not helping them. And do we want to simply relieve pain, or do we want to really help someone through the pain? Help them, obviously, through that pain. And that's a longer process. It's a more difficult process but it's something we have to really, really focus on. So to bear one another's burdens, that fulfills the law of Christ. Help with the weight. Don't take it from them, but help them with the weight. Verses 3 and 4. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. Okay, so... Then there's the, the, the admonition here to make sure that your attitude is in the right place, that your heart is in the right place. It's not like, oh, my brother Jonathan, messing up again, 
I guess I'm going to have to go rescue him. Sorry, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) But you see how much is wrong with that? You know, it's Rick saying, I am going to have to rescue him again. But Rick, the scripture does bring out the point. It requires our self-examination of our own strengths, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Strength and attitude. Okay. We're bound by the law of Christ to care for one another. Doing so requires that self-examination of our strength, okay, in the Lord to make sure that the strength is genuine and humble. Mm. It really doesn't come down to me rescuing anybody. I can't rescue anybody. Who do I think I am? If I start to think that way, then my charity is coming from me, and that's the wrong source. I'm a steward of whatever God has given me. So by God's grace, if an opportunity opens before me, thank God for the opportunity that he provided. Now, Lord, give me the strength to fulfill that opportunity. Excellent. That's the right attitude. And we got to be really careful because it's it's too easy to be, oh, you know, okay, I'm the strong one here. You know, you're the weak one. I'm the strong one. It's okay. I'll help you. And we need his wisdom to go to his word to help find the fix. Yes. Yes, exactly, exactly. All right, verse 5, short verse, but again, very, very powerful. For each one will bear his own load. All right, each one will bear his own load, each one. Now, we're talking about the one who needs help and the one who helps. So the word for load, what, what, what is the word for load, what, what, what is it used for? Well, Rick, it, it means uh, like uh, used for freight, uh, the lading of a ship. And it's invoice. Okay, so it's the lading of a ship. It's an invoice. It's what's assigned to somebody. If you have an invoice, that invoice represents what's what's in the boxes. Okay, you know, whenever you get a box delivered by one of the delivery companies, you have an invoice. And on that invoice tells you, here's what's in the box. So what it's saying is each one will bear what he is assigned. Every individual Christian is fully responsible for the full delivery of what is assigned to them. So that means, Jonathan, if I'm the one who's in need, I'm responsible for full delivery. Now, I may be having trouble with the weight of that, and you can help me, and that would be great because I really need the help, but it's ultimately me that has to deliver. You can help me get my delivery in order. You can help to, to, to help hold me up kind of thing, but you can't do it for me. By the same token, you, as the helper, are responsible to deliver a, 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 a humble heart before God that used that opportunity without building yourself up in your own mind as some big, powerful person. So each is responsible to bear his own load. So, Jonathan, what do we do if we feel like our own spirituality may not be strong enough to help someone that we come across who's in this situation that we're talking about in Galatians 5? Well, Rick, I thought of a few things. Uh, Recommend that the brother or sister should go to someone who can give wise counsel. Um, Also, you could recommend Bible verses and chapters that our Heavenly Father will help oversee as they read and study those. And I was thinking of James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Okay, so if we are not capable, doesn't mean that we just don't do anything. Exactly. We can give scripture, uh, we can give verses, we can give encouragement, we can 
help them find someone who can bear the burden. The, the key is that we want to be involved. This is where our greatest charity belongs, folks, is amongst ourselves. We need to build each other up. Because, you know, the bottom line of our Christianity is to be faithful unto death, to receive that crown of life so we can bless the world and we can take away all of the issues of the world by God's grace. That's what it boils down to. Galatians 6, let's go to verses 7 through 10 and we'll wrap this up. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We're here reminded that our self-examination is a centerpiece of importance. Why are we helping? Be, by being clear on our own motivation, we can better help others with their personal clarity. And verses 9 and 10. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Jonathan, that verse 10 is the verse we started with right at the beginning of the uh, podcast. And so we've come full circle in talking about giving and charity and what, who and what should a Christian support. And really the bottom line here is do good to all people. What does this mean? It means that everybody in our path especially should be in line for our goodness, for the goodness that God has given us, we should give to others as well. We want to put that all in perspective, especially to whom? Especially to the household of faith. And how do we give to them? In every way possible. Give and give if it's financially wonderful, but especially if it can be something that costs us much more than our finances. It costs us our in investment into that person's life because they are brothers or sisters in Christ. Folks, we are responsible to give in a way that brings honor to God. Think about your giving and be generous. That's what is required of us as Christians. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us this week. We'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, who and what should a Christian support? You have an awful lot to think about. We want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about what does discipleship cost? Talk to you next week. <laughs>